Thank you, Pastor Bob and praise team. I'm glad you all came out this morning in the blizzard of 2016, and uh, you guys braved it. And uh, Ernie and Darlene's here. Good to see you, Darlene. I tell you what, you, you're, you're a, you guys are like brave, and we appreciate you guys and all that. Uh, Sandy Payne had come back from, from hip surgery today as well. All these people that just, they just endure and just get through the weather. I appreciate that and your willingness to be, be here. Just, just in case you ever wonder, if, if we dismiss, we, will, um, we, will, we typically do not dismiss a service unless it rises to a level three snow emergency. And then by law, I don't think we really should be doing anything since it'd be illegal for you to be on the road. And so we'll dismiss at uh, any time you see a level, snow th- uh, th- level three snow emergency in Marysville, we'll be dismissed, we'll be canceled. Uh, and otherwise, unless it's a special circumstance, we'll probably have church anyhow. Now, if you ever feel unsafe, well, you know, I, I trust your judgment. I know Craig Elrod has a lot of trouble with snow and you know, anything over an inch is a problem for him. And uh, no, it's not, is it, Craig? But, um, you know, we want you to be safe. And we do make the announcement, even if it's a level three, it'll be on the church website. It'll be on the Facebook page. Uh, NBC is, is who we notify, which I believe is Channel 4. Is that correct? Yes, okay, NBC Channel 4. We'll send it out through our constant contact. And so if you're not on our weekly update and when you would like to be part of that list, if you just put it on a card today, we'll add you to the list and make sure you get noticed anytime uh, we, we have a snow cancellation. Uh, don't look for it to happen too often, but, but every once in a while, uh, God's desire is that you stay home and we'll let you know when that is. And so uh, uh, just, just be aware of all that stuff. You ever feel forgotten? You ever feel invisible? You ever feel forgotten or alone? Or Anybody ever go to the doctor and they take you and put you in that waiting room by yourself and you wait for the doctor? Does it, who hates that, right? Uh, I always go through the drawers, take out all the sharp objects, all the needles, hide those, make the place pull safe, if you will. Uh, but sometimes you feel forgotten in that room and, and, and minutes seem like hours as you're sitting there waiting for a nurse or a doctor to, to come in. You ever feel forgotten at a counter? You ever have this happen? You ever walk to a counter and you're standing there to be helped and, and the, the person doesn't help you and somebody comes up behind you and they help them first? Doesn't that just make you mad when that happens, right? It's a holy anger, of course. It's a righteous indignation. But, but all of us have had those kind of circumstances happen where we feel like we're ignored, where we're not being heard. Let me ask it this way. Wives, have you ever felt like your husband is not hearing what you're saying? Terry? Maybe during a football game and, and uh, you know, maybe you're focused on the Buckeyes or whoever you're watching or the Bengals or the, well, I don't think anybody's focused on the Browns now or the Bengals, but you're focused on a sporting event and you're not listening. All of us have been in that circumstance where we don't feel like we're being heard or we feel like we're forgotten or we feel like we're alone or we feel like we're invisible. Christmas means that God sees Wherever you are today, whatever you're going through, however you feel inside, Christmas tells us that God sees us and God cares. And God doesn't want to be distant, but Christmas means God is present to us. 
Now, that's a good time just to, just to, to, to reflect and, and thank God that in the circumstances that you find yourself in today, maybe your life's really chaotic. Maybe you feel like you're all alone. But, but the truth is that God is present to us today. Amen. Now, John writes it like this. And the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as the, of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Jesus became flesh and lived with people. And they saw him, and they reached out and touched him, and they hugged him, and they cried with him, and they laughed with him. Jesus was fully present. And even today, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is fully present in this place, in our lives, even in our ordinary lives, Jesus is fully present to us. We've been tracking through Jesus here, and we've been dealing with a key thought that's really been the center of the whole series, the whole sermon series, and it's this. The Christ event is not a point in history. It is a change in history. It means God with us. It means Jesus here. And so we've been tracking through the ideal that Jesus is present in this place. And, and the first week, really, we just talked about the presence of God in our life, in our ordinary lives, and in our sometimes Falling, failing life and in our life, wherever we find ourselves this week, Jesus is present and desires to walk with you through every circumstance of life. Now, now the Christ event, what Jesus did in his birth and his life and his death and resurrection, what God did on Pentecost does not represent a change in God. God has always been omnipresent. God is wherever God wants to be. But the change is within us. We are different because of what Jesus did. And we can experience and receive that presence freely. But... It is a change. And so we can experience Jesus, but not only can we experience Jesus, we believe because of the work of Pentecost, because of what God did by giving his Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit can infill us, dwell within us, and we can continue the mission of Jesus. We can be Jesus here. That, that God is continuing his mission through ordinary people like you and I. Which is a tremendous concept when you think about it, that, that God wants to use me and God wants to use you so that we can somehow complete, finish, uh, perfect the work of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, I'd put it this way. If we do not continue the work of Jesus, if we don't allow the Spirit to indwell us and use us in that way, then we're kind of missing the whole point of what God was doing through Jesus and on Pentecost. We are called to be Jesus here. And as we think about that, then we begin to look at Jesus. What, what, what were the characteristics of Jesus? And, and how should we live our lives? If we are going to continue the mission of Jesus, doesn't it make sense that we should live like Jesus lived, that we should walk like Jesus walked, that we should think like Jesus thought? And so we've been, after the first week, we've really been tracking what it means to walk like Jesus. 
to, to be Jesus in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our marketplaces, wherever we find ourselves, how would Jesus walk at your work? How would Jesus live in your home? How would Jesus interact with families on, in a basketball arena or in a soccer field or, or, or in a marketplace? How would Jesus live in those environments? And in the last two weeks, we've talked about two things. We've talked about dependence and obedience. Jesus was fully dependent on God. And, and we are called to be people who are depending on God for every part of life. Now, now the truth is, this is more of a recognition than something that we begin to do. And let me explain it this way. Every good gift, everything that you have, whether you believe in God or not, whether you accept Jesus as your Savior or not, every person who, who walks on the face of this earth, God has given them life, and that comes from the Heavenly Father. God is the giver of all good gifts. And so there's part of us, if we're going to be dependent on the Father, one of the things we need to do is just begin to acknowledge this job I have has come from God. That this family that I have has come from God. This church that I attend has come from God. That this, this money that I have is a gift from God. This clean water that I drink has come from God. This air that I breathe comes from God. Everything that we have comes from the Father above. And so that we, we, Jesus was dependent on the Father. He recognized that dependence on the Father. And we should recognize that dependence on the Father. And the second week, we worked with, through obedience. Jesus was obedient to the Father, that, that Jesus lived to accomplish the will of him who sent him and accomplish the Father's will, that, that Jesus wasn't here to do his own thing, but Jesus was here to allow God to be God and to complete the mission of God. All of us, all of us, including this pastor, have the same temptation. You know what that temptation is? The temptation is to say, I am God and I will do things my own way. That there is a sin that entangles every person on the face of this earth. And that sin is the sin of Adam and Eve. It's the sin that faced it, the temptation that faced it, Jesus in the wilderness. And that is that my will and my way is more important than God's. And Jesus modeled and practiced a life full of the Holy Spirit in which God's will was more important than his will. Life was not about the pursuit of happiness or life, liberty, and property, to use John Locke, but life was about the pursuit of the will of God. And what mattered more than anything else to Jesus Christ was accomplishing the will of the Father in his life. Dependence and obedience. But, but how, this, how this dependence and obedience worked out in the life of Jesus was important. Because the Father's mission, the Heavenly Father's mission revolves around people. People matter to God. And because people mattered to God and they were central to the mission of God, then central to the mission of Jesus Christ were people. 
Jesus wasn't just here to, to teach a few good points and, and, and teach some concepts, but Jesus was here because people mattered to his heavenly Father. Jesus valued people. Can you say that with me? Jesus valued people. Now, now we see this worked out. And a, and a fundamental characteristic of Jesus that, that I believe you see throughout the, the gospel accounts. When, when you see the stories of Jesus, you, you see this, this characteristic that, I'll be honest, sometimes I miss. So sometimes I miss living like Jesus lived. And Jesus was present to people. He was there. You know, Jesus wasn't just passing through, but he was available and present to people because they were the mission and they were what mattered. So, so how did Jesus model presence? Jesus saw people differently than their religious leaders. Every person mattered to Jesus. And if you're thankful that every person mattered to Jesus, say amen, I am because I'm every person. I'm one of the every persons. They were worthy of his attention and care. If we are to be Jesus here, we need to see people differently. We must value people. They are worthy of our attention and care. Over and over in the story of Jesus, you look at how he dealt with people. The, the, the people that the religious leaders would call sinners, and no good, and tax collectors, and not worthy of your attention, attention, Jesus spent time with. Significant time. People that those who were in authority were, would say were losers and outcasts and untouchables, Jesus spent significant time and ministry with. And you see it throughout the gospel accounts. And, and I got to tell you, if, if, if we are to be Jesus here, then we have to be a people. I have to be a person. You have to be a person. Our church needs to be a place where people that others may say are unworthy feel like they can belong and be loved. Over and over in the gospel accounts. Folks, take some time this week and, and read the stories of Jesus. Over and over, Jesus is with people that the people who were established would say, what's he doing with them? From his disciples to the ladies that hung around him to the tax collectors that gravitated to him to the sinners that clung to him to the lepers that no one else would teach, Jesus spent time with those everyone else said you just need to forget. And you see it over and over. Now, I'm going to read a story today that's familiar. Um, it's, it's in Luke 19. and will be reading verses 1 to 10. It's, it's one of those familiar stories. And, and I want you to listen to the stories. And there, There's many lessons we can learn from the story, but we're going to be watching Jesus in this story. I want you to pay particularly atten particular attention to the, what Jesus does and how Jesus acts in this story. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. 
there was a man there named Zacchaeus. All right, the first service knew this. What do we know about Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was? And? All right, you guys went to Sunday school, good. He was the chief tax collector in the region. And he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. A wee little man, there you go. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Can we stop here just for a second? What do you think Zacchaeus was so fascinated with Jesus? Do you think it was because Zacchaeus had heard about the teaching of Jesus? Oh man, this guy's a great teacher, and I just want to see him. Do you think perhaps maybe you'd heard about the miracles of Jesus? You know, the feeding of the 5,000 or any number of other miracles that Jesus performed. Maybe he'd heard all the buzz about Jesus. You know what I think he had heard about Jesus? I think he had heard that Jesus was a friend to sinners and tax collectors. That this religious leader who spoke truth, who performed miracles, loved people even like him. And he would risk the crowds... He would risk perhaps the danger to himself as this hated tax collector to be along, uh, among a huge group of people so big that he couldn't get to the front of the, the parade line. And he'd climb a tree just to see Jesus who had a reputation of being welcoming to those no one else welcomed. And as I thought about that, I thought about myself. And I thought about our church. What's our reputation? Do, do we have a reputation that, that someone who's considered far from God, who's a sinner, could feel welcome enough to come here and begin to experience and hear about the grace and the love of God? Folks, I know many times we like a nice, tidy congregation. Nice, tidy congregations are easier. Trust me, they're easier for the pastors. But folks, a little bit of messy spirituality never hurt anyone. And as people encounter us, I hope our reputation is this is a place where you don't have to agree with everything we say but in a respectful and a loving and a graceful manner. This can be a place where grace is so thick, even an outcast and a sinner and a tax collector can come and sit and hear about God and encounter this saving God that we serve. Jesus had that reputation. Can I go a step further? And I don't think it is. But if our reputation is different than that. It's not God that's wrong. It's us that's wrong. Right? If somehow our reputation is, oh, you've got to have everything all together, and, and if, if you do this or you do that, then you can't be welcomed in this place. If that is our reputation, we're the ones that's wrong. Amen. Not Jesus. Jesus had this reputation and it drew Zacchaeus to him. 
When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Now, I did the next lyric, but this is my childhood memory. Jesus didn't go to his house for tea, did he? He went to his house today. Did anybody else think it was tea or just me? Is it tea or today? It's tea? Okay, all right. Brother Bob says it's tea. Thus saith Bob, thus saith the Lord. And, uh, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. You realize not everyone will understand and not everyone will agree if we live like Jesus. As a matter of fact, it may be possible that God will place people in your life, in my life, and in the life of this church that others will look at and say, what kind of people are those people if someone like that can be there? And I guess I would say this. When people can begin saying things like that about us, it may mean we're on the right track. It may mean that we're ministering to the people that Jesus ministered to. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Can we read that together? The son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. You know what the mission of the church is? The mission of the church is found in those words. If we're to be Jesus here, and I believe we are, if the spirits dwell us and we're to be the body of Christ, we are here as a church to seek and save those who are lost. If that's not part of what we're doing, we're missing the call of God in our life. Now, there are several things you can see in this passage. And we could talk about Zacchaeus and you know, what Zacchaeus does shows these acts of repentance. You know, he's, it's not just saying the right things, but it's a turnaround. He's, it's a 180 degree turn in his life. And, and that's what God calls for us to do. God, God's not calling us just to a mental ascent of him, but God is calling us to a point where we say, you are God, I'm not God, and what you want is what I want. It's a change of life that, that, that is initiated by faith and through grace, but, but it's a change in life. And Zacchaeus models this. He, he gives back far more than by law he was required to give. It goes beyond the law. But our focus today is on Jesus. And, and so we're going to spend... There's three things I want you to see about Jesus that you find in this passage that, that I believe if we, if we want to walk like Jesus, we want to think like Jesus, we want to live like Jesus, we want to love like Jesus, if we want to be Jesus here, then we follow him, we model him, we live like he lived, and we're obedient, we're dependent, and then we see how he reacted to people. 
And the first thing was, Jesus was focused on Zacchaeus. You can't, you can't miss it in the story. Jesus walking down the street, and the truth is, he's probably got a schedule. He's got an agenda. He's got things he wants to accomplish. He's got, he's got a task list like most people do. But the task list and the agenda and the schedule does not take priority over Zacchaeus. Wherever Jesus needed to be later in the day was not, more, was not more important than Zacchaeus. Jesus was focused. He, he was attentive to Zacchaeus and not distracted by the schedule. But not only that, can you imagine the scene? Now, now the crowds are so great that, that Zacchaeus really couldn't get through to see. Now, the, the risk that Zacchaeus ran as as this hated tax collector is, sure, they'd let him in the middle of the crowd, but they'd beat him senseless while he was there, right? A few little extra elbows, and, and so he'd be bruised and battered if he was even, even inside the crowd. And so the crowd is so great, and, and the multitudes around Jesus are so great that the scene is almost chaos. Anybody ever been to Disney World? Right? You ever been to Disney World at the end of the night after the fireworks? when people are trying to get to the boat or the train or whatever you're riding back, mass hysteria. Mothers using strollers like weapons. <laughs> Jesus was not so caught up in the chaos of life that he couldn't pay particular focused attention on Zacchaeus. Secondly, Jesus listened to Zacchaeus. And this isn't the only story that you see like this. Over and over in the gospel, Jesus listens. Jesus asks questions so he can learn more about people. Over and over and over again, Jesus allows people to express themselves and talk. And you think, well, Jesus is this perfect son of God. Couldn't he come and just say, listen to me? You dumb human? Let me tell you what to do. You should listen to me. I shouldn't need to listen to you because I can tell you what to do. You know, that's the character of God too, right? You understand the character of Jesus is the same as the character of God, right? When you see Jesus, you see the Father. And we have a Father who listens what is prayer? And if, you, if you've never stopped and thought about the dynamic, the awesome, the tremendous privilege of prayer, you should. What is prayer other than an invitation to talk to God? You know, God is all-knowing. God is all-good. God has a divine plan. God could say, I want you to be quiet and stop with your request and just let me speak through my word and speak through my spirit and listen to me. But he doesn't. God says, ask. Cast your cares upon me. Talk to me. I want... 
your heavenly father says, I want to know what you're thinking. Truth is, God already knows what you're thinking. I believe. But he wants you to express yourself. Our heavenly father listens. And Jesus reflect that, listen to Zacchaeus, and he reflect that, reflected that characteristic. There, there's the only words of Jesus in this passage before Zacchaeus comes to this point of repentance is a self-invitation to Zacchaeus' house. Now, I believe maybe, maybe Jesus spoke, but within his characteristic is this, this activity of active listening. What was striking was what Zacchaeus said in this story. And thirdly, Jesus saw Zacchaeus with compassion. How did, pe- how did Jesus see people? How do you see people? But how did Jesus see people? Jesus saw the crowds surrounding him. And what he say? He said, they're just like sheep without a shepherd. They, they just need some help. They need somebody to speak life into their lives. They need somebody to give them guidance. They're just like sheep that are wandering around in a field. And when a sheep, when sheep are wandering around in the field, do you blame the sheep or do you blame the shepherd? Jesus is saying these people need someone just to speak into their life. See, we tend to see people very simply. Remember, remember when you first went to school and you learned simple math, right? One plus one is? Man, the first service was much better than you guys. Well, let's try some multiplication. One times one is? Okay, that was a trick question. I almost got you. We, we tend to see people as simple math that it's black and white. And, you know, this isn't, don't, don't mishear me. I'm not somehow suggesting that, that we can't have black and white, this is wrong, this is right. But people aren't black and white. Jesus saw people as complex. Now, in first grade, I learned one plus one is two. Thank you. By the time I was a senior in high school, I was taking a class called math analysis. Lord, forgive me. And, and I, I can't remember anything from the class. What I remember was the equations changed and parentheses began to make their appearance and you begin to use letters and numbers and there were smaller letters and bigger letters and, and then there were strange like, you know, like the pi sign and different things like that. Anybody remember that? You know, equations became much more complex. See, I think Jesus saw people more like complex math than simple math. That that when he looked at them, he he saw that it wasn't just one plus one equals two, but there was parentheses and small numbers and, and all sorts of variables that created the place these people found themselves in. Can we use a classic example? The prostitutes that gathered around Jesus. See, I know there was a time in my life where when I thought of the prostitutes in the life of Jesus, I thought worst of the worst. Anybody else ever been there? Oh, well, this is the worst example of a sinner that can be around Jesus. But but then I stop and consider those who are prostitutes in our culture 
And, and, and I'm going to wake you up to something. Maybe you've not thought about this deep enough. Ladies who are involved in prostitution and in any kind of trade like that in our culture, most of them did not go to their guidance counselor in high school and say, hey, can you show me how to get this lifestyle? But, but most of the time, it is the result of extremely poor decisions, either theirs or many times someone else's, that's led to addiction and things in their life in which they have very little control. And at the worst, it's the result of human trafficking. Now think back to Jesus' day. In Jesus' culture, just like in our culture, this wasn't a choice that ladies made, but, but it was a, something that happened in the midst of their life and in the circumstances of desperation or perhaps even human trafficking, they found themselves there. And the religious leaders looked at him and said, Oh, sinners. And Jesus says it's more complex than that. And it's in that awareness of the complexity of life that Jesus found compassion for people lost in sin. Folks, if we're going to be Jesus here, we have to see people beyond simple math and see them in complex circumstances in which many times the circumstances of life, they find them in a place where they're almost imprisoned by habits and addictions and lifestyle, and they have no clue how to get out. And when we as the church say you're untouchable, you're unlovable, you're lost, and God has given us this mission of being Jesus here, how are they ever going to find their way out? So, we can celebrate Christmas or we can continue Christmas. That's the choice that we make. That This Christmas season, we can get all caught up in Christmas lights. And I love all the things at Christmas. This morning I came in and I just left all the lights off except for these lights. And just spent like five minutes just looking at the lights, loving the lights. You know, we get caught up in celebrating with our gifts and our Santa Clauses and our Grinches and our Snowmans and our Rudolphs and our Claymation. Uh, who's watched the Claymation cartoons? Raise your hand. Okay, we have a few of you. We'll pray for you. Uh, we get caught up in all these things we celebrate. Or we can say, no, it means much more than that. We're going to continue Christmas. We're going to be Jesus here. Now, here's three very practical things. Focus on others. Be fully present to other folks. Be, be more focused on people than your agenda. Can, can, I, can I be honest? I'm preaching to myself, right? Um, but I'm not the only one. Your schedule is not more important than your family. 
Your schedule is not more important than your kids, your husband. Your schedule is not more important than your, your coworkers. Your schedule is not more important than your neighbor. Your schedule is not your God, and your schedule does not matter more to God than people. Don't get so caught up in the chaos surrounding you. And there's more chaos in this season than any other time, right? Don't get so caught up in the chaos that you can't focus on other people. I, I, I would phrase it this way. It's the difference between being interesting and interested. <laughs> you ever met interesting people? You know, like what, what's the, the guy, the most interesting man in the world, you know, whatever he is. Uh, you know, interesting people are people that, you know, they're, they're fun to be around, that you, you know, they have great stories, and they're just interesting. And we have, we're drawn to interesting people. But be an interested person. What's the difference? An interested person is more interested in you than sharing about themselves. That, that, that somehow what draws the, the, the connection is not the stories they can tell, but the things they can learn about you. Interesting people become casual relationships at best. Sometimes we move on when the interest wanes. Interested people become the closest friends you'll ever have. Be interested, not interesting. Listen more. Say that with me. Listen more. Wherever you're at, see, and this is the dynamic thing about the gospel. Wherever you're at, you can grow. Listen more. Now, I did see this comic. The husband said, I'm assuming it's the husband. Time's up. I'm through listening, right? <laughs> Anybody ever feel like that? Yeah, a few of you. Yeah, there's one hand. Listening is an act of love. Be less concerned with what you're going to say than what the other person's saying. Now, I know nobody out here has ever done this. I know this is just me. But there's been times in my life when I should be listening, but my listening is just pausing so I can figure out what I'm going to say next, right? I know no one else ever lives like that. But, but I think Jesus is inviting us to this point where we're actively listening and paying attention to the, what the other person is saying. Now, wives, don't nudge your husbands right now, okay? I know you want to. And then see compassionately. People are complex. Those people, and, and folks, how many times have you judged or you seen someone on the surface, but then as you got closer to them, you've seen something completely different. When you focus and when you listen and you see people with compassion and you understand that, that people aren't black and white and there's all sorts of circumstances and variables in their life and God is calling to us to, to love them and minister to them. Can you see people as just simply sheep without a shepherd? And, and can you see yourself in that role of shepherd listening and focusing and attentively guiding them to a point where they can experience this great relationship with God that we enjoy. See, the truth is, all of us, everyone in this room, was once sinners, right? And we didn't earn it, we didn't deserve it, 
But God, through His great grace, called us. And because of people who loved us and surrounded us, we were able to hear the voice of God and respond in relationship with Him. Paul writes to Titus, you know, just remind them, they were all Cretans, they were all sinners themselves, that you need to see people differently because this same God is calling us to be active participants in this mission where we begin as shepherds, as believers, as followers of Jesus, of pointing people to this heavenly Father that loved them so much that he sent his one and only Son that no one would have to die, but everyone would have everlasting life. I love the next verse. God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. This Christmas season, will you celebrate Christmas or continue Christmas? All heads bowed, all eyes closed. This isn't... uh, I mean, I I don't think this is typically an altar call kind of sermon, but I think it's important that we have reflection time. And we're going to open the altars in a few minutes. And if you're not familiar with that, that means that we have these these benches, these altars at the front, and and many times people will come and kneel at them. Through through stepping out, it's just a good opportunity to say, hey, God, I heard you this morning. I want to respond to you. And you can respond to God in your pews and the chairs, but altars are just a great place to do that. And oftentimes we have many people that will come forward. But before we give opportunity to that, just all heads bowed, and I just want to give you the opportunity this Christmas season. Would you say, Pastor, I really want to grow closer to this Jesus. Uh, I, I want to know him more. And, and with uplifted hand, would you just say, I, I'm praying that, that God will draw me closer. Would you just lift your hands quickly all over the sanctuary? Stand with me, if you will. Maybe some of you that raise your hands just want to come forward and talk to God. No judgment. You know, we, we don't look up here, and it, this, is, this isn't about how many come or anything like that. Just a great place to pray. Maybe you want to come and just talk to God for a few minutes. Maybe you're dealing with the relationship, and, and as I've spoken, the Holy Spirit's talked to you, and, and you just realize, hey, i got to get better about that relationship. Or, or maybe it's just life. Maybe you just need space to pray. Uh, I'd invite you to come quickly, and then I'm going to close this in prayer. I'm going to let you sit. But if you'd like to come, come quickly. You can be seated. And um, all that we do here is meant to bring us to a place where we sense God's presence and we respond to him. It's God that transforms. It's not anything I say. It's not anything we sing. But it's what God through his Holy Spirit does. So I think it's important that we have just a few minutes of talking to God alone before I close this in prayer. So I'm going to wait about two minutes and pray. Ask God to reveal himself. Speak to him. And then I'm going to close this in prayer in just a moment. Our Heavenly Father, and you are our Father. We're not just... uh, Believers, and we're not just adherents to a religious practice. We're not just members of a church. But we are children of the Most High God. Through the blood of Jesus, you have adopted us, you have changed us, you call us by new names. We belong to you. 
Help us, Lord, to live to that high privilege. Not accepting something less, Lord, but to live as children of God. Lord, I'm thankful that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. That it's not anything that I've earned on my own, but Jesus died for me and your Holy Spirit drew me to you. And it's all through your action that you gave me the opportunity to say yes. Lord, I'm thankful that in my free will I chose to say yes, but I'm thankful for the opportunity that you gave me. Lord, I pray for those who lifted hands, that if there's a struggle right now of letting go, of, of trusting you, Lord, that, that you will um, give them strength just to say yes to you. Yes to you leads to life. So Lord, we're thankful for salvation. We're thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit. We're thankful for the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Lord, help us to continue to give you praise, uh, to, to express reliance on you for our daily bread. Everything that we have comes from you. And we give you thanks. We, we ask you, Lord, to help us to live as people where your will is being done in our life in the same way that it is in heaven. That, that, that we're not doing what we want, Lord, but, but we're focused on what you want. The good news is that is the way of life. That it's in giving our life to you that we find life. That it's in hoarding our life and keeping it to ourselves that we lose our life. So Lord, give us an understanding that, that you're not calling us to self-destruction, but you're calling us to life itself. So Lord, those things that are holding us back, those things that in our mind we have begun to think as, as there's something we're having to give up for you, may, may we have the realization that anything we give up for you only leads to greater life from you. That, Lord, you replace anything that we lay down on an altar with something far more valuable and lasting and eternal. That it's in our dependence and obedience that we find life and laughter and joy and relationship. We find significance and meaning. Where we're thankful for your Holy Spirit. I, I sense his presence in this place right now. And I'm thankful, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is still working on me. Lord, I'm thankful when you convict me, when you tell me that I'm wrong. Help us, Lord, to live in a greater awareness of your presence and your love. Now, Lord, as we leave this place, we'll leave the sanctuary the place where it's safe, the place where it's easy, and we'll be encountering people where it's not always safe and it's not always easy. Help us, Lord, not just to hear about how Jesus lived, but to model like he lived in the real world. Give us the ability to focus on others, to listen to others, to have compassion on others. Give us the ability, Lord, through your Holy Spirit 
inside us to show, to be Jesus, to walk, to love, to live, to think like Jesus. Lord, our world needs you. And Lord, as much as we cry out, Lord, do something, as the song that opened our service said, Jesus did. God created us. And it's in us now that you want to move and you want to love and you want to reach people. Give us a fresh urgency for the mission. And Lord, as we um, walk in your light, may you give us the ability to see what you're doing within us. Bless us as we leave. Keep us, Lord. Help us to, um, to experience your presence, not just in this place, but wherever we find ourselves this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless, folks. You are dismissed.